When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Sure. Good job. Some bad hat hair. It's a cool show. Get any of that? Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damas Cleary. And today we'll be discussing Good Omens Season 1. Good omens to you, Damas Cleary. And good omens to you. <laughs> How you doing? Quite well, thank you very much. You've got a big, uh, big Coca Cola from the cinema. I do a giant there. one. Giant they're getting bigger every time I go. They're bigger the, and bigger. The American size, nearly now. Almost. Almost on its way. Almost a big gulp from. Um, oh, what was the thing in Parks and Rec? What was it called? Oh, the it was like the baby or the child size because <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the size, size of, of a small child. child. That yeah. was great. Uh, How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm back. From the movies, going to the movies with you, actually. Mm-hmm. We got to actually hang mm-hmm. out outside of uh, recording a podcast, which was... I hated it. Never again. <laughs> Thank God we didn't have to talk to each other. Yeah, We just exactly. sit there and watch Stare the Spider-Mans on the screen. That mm, was nice. All the Spider-Mans. All the Spider-Mans. Not as many Spider-Mans as, say, Into the Spider-Mans verse. That's true. Which had a lot of Spider-Mans. <laughs> it did. Uh, but it was, that was fun. We'll talk about that in a bit because this is one of our sort of patented regular episodes of Hunting mm. Seasons. We're actually going to have an off-topic, hot-topic segment. Yeah. And we're going to do that right now. Off-topic, hot-topic. Uh, that's whatever you were talking about for you. Off-topic, hot-topic is our news and views segment and sometimes separate podcast where we get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this week's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off-topic, hot-topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast, which is exactly what listener of the show GJ Corbin did when he sent uh, us a link to this story. Mm. This comes from Maiko Osiello at TV Line. Neil Gaiman's Sandman, uh, Sandman officially received series order at Netflix. Damask, are you familiar with Sandman from Neil Gaiman? I know it exists. That's a good start. But beyond that, no. It's a So, this is a, a run of comics um, that he did with Vertigo, the now defunct Vertigo, because apparently... DC are getting rid of the Vertigo series of like sort of alternate, sort of not DC main canon stuff. Right. For some reason, like uh, Why the Last Man, my favorite comic book series Mm -hmm. or graphic novel series is a Vertigo line. Out the door with that, apparently. I think so was Fables, another series I really like. But but what does that mean? Does that mean they'll just be published under the Uh, DC heading? Yeah, there might be more of like a DC thing. Apparently, they'll still be printing those other ones. Um, To some degree, this was a story that came out in the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, But yeah, but just the idea that that, the idea of Vertigo as a prestige Mm. sort of like side... Um, um, of DC Comics going away is a bit sad. I got a Vertigo one just there. There you go. That one is that Vivi Vendetta. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of the 
Alan Moore stuff, I think a lot of that was Vertigo mm. as well. I'm, I'm going to guess that Watchmen was Vertigo, for instance. I'm pretty sure it was. Those yeah. sorts of things. Anyway, that's not the story. The story is about <laughs> Sandman. Uh, so the story goes, uh, Netflix has confirmed that a first season of 10 episodes plus one of The Sandman has been ordered. The official logline is as follows. A rich blend of modern myth and dark fantasy in which contemporary fiction, historical drama and legend are seamlessly seamlessly interwoven. The Sandman follows the people and places affected by Morpheus, the Dream King, as he mends the cosmic and human mistakes he's made during his vast existence. Just initially, that logline where it starts is like American Gods and Good Omens Mm -hmm. and very Gaiman. There's a theme. There is a theme to his Mm. writing. Uh, The DC Comics or Vertigo property has been mired in development hell for decades. Uh, The studio uh, has attempted to get a film adaptation of the series um, going since 1990s. The focus in recent years has shifted to a potential TV adaptation largely due due to Gaiman's exploding presence on the small screen, which includes American Gods, which we've reviewed in the past, Good Omens, which we're about to review, uh, and Sandman's spin-off, Lucifer, which is a Netflix Netflix Ah, series. I did did not know. know. And I have read one (laughs) Sandman graphic novel, like Mm -hmm. the first issue, Mm -hmm. uh, and quite liked it, but haven't never got around to reading the rest of them, unfortunately. It's always on my list of like what to read. But then mm. I, I went through a comic book phase of like reading Marvel and DC and Vertigo stuff for like a couple of years and then it got expensive. Yeah. I think like this Sandman box set series thing has been in my book depository list for as I, really? at least like eight years, I reckon. Which version? Because there's the original art version and then there was a version where it was recolored, I believe as well. I don't think it would be the recolored one. I personally prefer the recolored one okay. from what I've seen. Either I'm not sure which one they're printing these days. Which if there's um if they even keep the old one around. Anyway, I'm interested in that definitely. From mm. what I read, it's gonna make for a, a very heady, out there, strange TV series. It's not. It's I think it's pretty like what while it follows Morpheus and other characters like him around. Like, it's a very mm-hmm. iconic version of death in there as well, which a lot of people refer back to. Um, these days as well, it's it would definitely be an anthology type series, as opposed. I, th- I would guess, um, and people who have actually read this probably might disagree with me here, as opposed to like American Gods, which seems to have like a pretty straight story, beginning, middle, end. Hopefully, at least mm. the book would. Mm. Um, and Good Omens as well. I think it's more likely to be like a bit more anthology sort of story esque. I think. Do we? we- don't know who's writing it yet. We do. We know that Alan Hindberg of the Catch and Grey's Anatomy will write and serve as showrunner of the series. Gaiman and David S. Goyer, uh, who's famous for Constantine and Flash Forward, will executive produce. So they're the TV series, Constantine and Flash Forward. David Goyer, also heavily involved with the Nolan-like um, Batman films as well. Right. I think he may have written The Dark Knight, Batman Begins, and Dark Knight mm-hmm. Returns. I think he might have written or at least produced the Man of Steel as well. Like, he was very involved in those. Right. I think at this point, I'm a little gamed out. Sure. And unless, if the reviews are, like, really positive, then I'll check it out. But otherwise, I'm not overly interested. You're not running? Is there Mm -mm. something, is there something, you say gamed out, right? Mm -hmm. Is it just his style? You've had a lot of it now? Or is there something about those adaptations that isn't working for you necessarily? Um, both of those things. Mm. I think perhaps his style 
doesn't translate doesn't real well. Doesn't translate very well. I'm I'm like we're going to get to our Good Omens review. Mm. Maybe starting to get a night picture of <laughs> how our, how we feel about it a little bit already. But I'm of the sort of the belief that maybe his stuff works much better on the page mm-hmm. than when it's made to be more literal visually. Mm-hmm. And that there might be a bit of a disconnect there in that translation. So which and that gives me pause. Although that being said, I mean at least Sandman is mm-hmm. a graphic novel series. Yeah, so true. there is a visual element to it already. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm almost getting a like. I know we don't have a news in Fuller, but I'm we, getting there's nothing to talk yeah. about. The man is a ghost. <laughs> but I'm getting maybe like almost a Fuller vibe, where like all these like great concepts as TV shows just don't work. Yeah, you might be right. You, mm. you, yeah. Happy and, to be proven wrong, but so far, not really working. What's also true, I think, about both of those, Gaiman and Fuller, is they both sort of exist in, like, that realm of supernatural and just outside reality, mm-hmm. of, like, myths and death and those sorts of places. Yeah. And, and quirky, quirkiness, quirky, and, quirky, quirky. And making that stuff work as a fulfilling story, mm-hmm. and especially a TV series, apparently, they're not something that you want to expand and go on for a long time, maybe doesn't quite work mm. for some reason, or at least for some people or in some cases. Again, yeah. we haven't watched all of Fuller's work and I haven't read much of name, Game and stuff at all. Mm. I'm going to stop talking about it because I feel like I'm going to start talking about Good Omens. Totally. We'll get there soon. <laughs> uh, some more news worth talking about. Um, Pop Network picks up one day at a time for a new season. Um, so, Netflix cancelled One Day at a Time back in March, following an unsuccessful fan campaign to convince the streaming service not to do it. But early this month, the producers noted they were still working to try and find a new home for the show. That work evidently paid off because Deadline is reporting that the CBS-owned pop network has picked up One Day at a Time for a 13-episode fourth season that will air sometime in 2020. It will have a smaller budget. Netflix obviously mm-hmm. was spending up on that <coughs> show, among others. Mm-hmm. This is good news. I don't think either of us have watched One Day at a Time, but there was no, obviously- I've heard good things and I uh, saw a lot of people upset that it was cancelled. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, yeah, a lot of people were, were upset it was cancelled. And remember, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Netflix was the place you'd go to say, hey, please bring back that yeah, cancelled TV show. Yeah, please save us. Yeah. And now the opposite is happening. happening. Netflix cancelled a show and network pe- TV picks it up. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, that, is uh, Pop TV network TV? Uh, it is... Yeah, apparently, I think it is. Or if it's not network, it's at least cable, but still, it's right. like a traditional network, we might say, TV network, rather right. than a streaming service. Uh, that article came from Sam Basanti at the AV Club, by the way. Um, the Office will leave Netflix for NBC Universal streaming service in 2021. The reason this is big news, obviously, The Office has been gone for a long time. It's not like it's mm. been cancelled or anything like that. But there was new. Uh, there was an article recently about how apparently there's a large percentage of Netflix subscribers who would consider leaving the service behind if the office ever left. They just can sort of consider it their office streaming service. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a long way away. You know, 2021's a while away yet. It's fucking ages, guys. Yeah. And it means that there's going to be another goddamn streaming service to pay for. So people who want to follow the office around are going to have to buy a new one. Mm. But do we really believe that people are going to ditch Netflix just because this one show they love is no longer on there. No, of course not. You don't think so? No, absolutely not. They'll just, like, buy it. Well, that's what I kind of wonder as well, is Mm. if you love this show so much, yes, it's not the convenient, like, small payment monthly, Mm. but surely there must be sales on DVD box sets 
and like even on like iTunes and stuff yeah. like that. Where Ultimately, can- it would be cheaper instead of just paying for Netflix continuously every month. For one show, surely. I'm fascinated to see if there really is a dip. I imagine there will be a little bit of a dip when this happens in 2021. I doubt it's going to be significant as people make it same. I think they're bluffing. I think it's insane. No, of course, there won't be a dip at all. If there's going to be a dip, it's going to be when Disney Plus arrives. Oh, yeah. I don't, sure, there might be a dip. Who knows? But I don't think it's going to be Office related. <laughs> you don't think the Office is going to be the reason? No, of course not. Uh, the last bit of news I wanted to bring up. Aziz Ansari is getting a new Netflix special on July 9th. Mm. So, that's very soon. And the reason this is news is because Aziz Ansari sort of disappeared mm-hmm. for the last year and a half or so, ever since I think it was a Babe.net or a babe, Babe.com article. Um, I think it was .net. .net, I think you're right. Mm. About, um, for lack of a better term, a bad date. There's mm. some debate on which how you would describe what happened. Mm-hmm. But there was some suggestions about, you. some might call it sexual misconduct or at least... He was pressuring for sex with this woman. And anyway, he took he sort of disappeared from the screen for a while. Mm-hmm. There's been no new Master of None or anything like that. I think this happened not long after we reviewed season two of Master of None. Yeah. Um, and so we've sort of been waiting to see what happens there. Mm-hmm. He's since been on the road um, working on a show called Road to Nowhere. Mm. And this series, this special is apparently based on that comedy tour and directed by Spike we Jones. have spoken about reports yeah. of the content of that show before. People who had seen this live mm. stand-up show had reported about him talking about these allegations and about this time in his life in mm-hmm. that. So, I guess the question is, A, are you ready for Aziz Ansari to come back? And B, are you interested in watching this Netflix special on what he has to say? Um, I think from the reports that we were getting about mm-hmm. the content of the show, I think it could be a really um, important show. Yep. That could be entirely wrong and he could be doing the Louis C.K. thing where it's just fucking woe is me. Yep. Um, I hope that's not the case. If that's the case, I'm not fucking interested. Fuck off. Sure. Um, but from what we've heard, I, I am interested. I'm interested too. I'm. Mm-hmm. There has been a lot of this like talk about cancel culture recently and like the the... What enthusiasm, enthusiasm with which people are cancelled or sort of thrown out and said we should just get rid of these people completely from sort mm. of like pop culture zeitgeist after allegations or stories like this come out. Mm-hmm. And I think if I agree that with some people's sentiments that we need to be willing, if we're really genuine about this, to allow for people to grow and change mm-hmm. and learn from this sort of stuff. I appreciate that he did disappear. Yes. Um, He hasn't... I think he had an initial reaction and he's gone away for a while. And reflected. And re- well, this is what we're going to find out, I mm. think. And because I, th- I think if he has reflected and he he has learned and there's... I'm, I'm fascinated to see what, what comes out of it. I'm definitely willing to give it a look. I think mm-hmm. it's going to be analysed up and down by everyone. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's not perfect. But I don't necessarily think we need it to be perfect. We need it to be genuine and a good start and hopefully an mm. indication that of progress and that like you know just start a conversation again i guess yeah and i think like when you say you know interested you know yeah cancer culture i think is important tool for people to recognize their own bad behavior Definitely. and then not just please say oh i'm sorry that i did that but to really show yeah um or demonstrate that they have learned and they're, you know, trying to better themselves, mm-hmm. I think is really important. So if people are doing that, I think it's fine. I mean, obviously it depends on the 
severity of what they've done. Yeah, there are some things. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think in the case of Aziz Ansari, very unfortunate, but it's also, you know, rape culture is a thing. It's it's a cultural problem. Yep. And he did not invent the culture. And it, it from the account that we hear from the woman, it didn't seem malicious. It came from a huge blind spot and ignorance yep. about the experience of women and mm-hmm. how they experience sex um, or sexual pressure. So I think it's an interesting conversation to have. And, yeah, if he's learnt and grown from it, I think that'll be a really great perspective to have. Mm. Yeah, I'm hopeful because at this point, like, I th- I was really enjoying Master of None mm. and I'd like to think, I'd like to, like, yeah, I'd like to be able to sort of enjoy that stuff again and think that that's genuine. I, I, like, if it is good, I'd love to see what Master of None season three potentially looks like as well. That mm. could be really interesting if, you, mm-hmm. if there's a, yeah, if he's learnt or... Yeah, if it is what we hope it to be. If it, if it is yeah. what we hope it to be. We'll see. I'm definitely going to check it out when mm. it comes out. Uh, Damask, what did you want to talk about today? Well, I haven't done a, a whole lot recently. I've just been hanging out with my cat. Um, you deserve it. You deserve a break. Thank you so much. I did just watch the Knives Out trailer, which is the Ryan Johnson. Is it Johnston or Johnson? Johnson. Yeah, cool. Uh, which is his kind of murder mystery slash thriller Caper. Very, very Miss Marple, mm. Poirot-esque sort yes. of feeling to it. Um, I'm excited. That cast is amazing. Incredible cast. It has a great sense of fun about it. I'm, I'm in. I'm absolutely in for it. I'm interested into it too. The cast excites me a lot. Mm. Um, I've enjoyed- Well, you love his work, don't you? Johnson stuff. To, oh, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say necessarily loved it. I enjoy it a lot. I yeah. think Looper is great. It mm. has some issues that- Things I don't love about it, it was Bruce was, Willis's power. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, the th- I think one of the things I loved about Looper actually was that it wasn't. It took me like in watching the film, it became a f- completely different film to what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, like, it was quite surprising cinema experience in a good way, and not in an M Night Shyamalan like it was really this along the way. <laughs> it was like halfway through this movie or a little bit earlier, it's like oh, this is completely different mm. to what I thought this story was going to be. And it's actually pretty interesting and cool what it is. Yeah. Um, it made you look at your own expectations go, oh, okay. As opposed to being tricky, tricky. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Mm. And I liked The Last Jedi uh, the more I watched it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, my initial reaction was a little bit murky. I know you didn't like it a lot. No. Um, so, I've definitely got... I'm very interested. And Ozymandias, we've talked about legitimately one of the best mm-hmm. seasons. There are episodes of television ever made. I'm definitely keen to see what this is. The trailer is very fun. It's, it sends a great tone. that my, and Great energy to it. What I'm interested mm. in, though, is that I haven't watched this, but you have. You recently watched the Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston Netflix film Murder Mystery, right? I can't believe you're shaming me I'm in not front sh- of everyone not, right now. This is not shame. I have it was a, a secret shame <laughs> that I shared with you on the ride back from Spider-Man. Sorry. And you're shit. No, that's fine. <laughs> I did not realise it fine. was such a secret. I was very hungover. Okay. And I was like, I want to watch a dumb movie. And what's a dumber than a... Adam Sandler film. You know. Yeah. A current Adam Sandler film. Even his old ones, they were dumb, but that, at least they were good. They were good hangover films too. That'd be an excellent hangover film, actually. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, yes, I did watch those, that movie. Yeah. I bring that mm-hmm. up because I haven't watched it, mm-hmm. but my brother was watching it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I think it was, I think he was hungover as well, actually. There you enough. go. Well done, Netflix. Adam you- Sandler's found his like, all right, this is... <laughs> This is my audience. Yeah. And 
I actually, the sequence I watched is the sequence with my brother was the sequence where there is a murder and everybody's in the room. Mm-hmm. And it's like, none of you can leave because we need to figure out who As did it. Jacques. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, watching this trailer, I'm like, I just watched this movie. And <laughs> there are a million other movies that do this and stories that do this. Mm. But like, is that enough for you to be interested when you've just watched an, like another film try to do this? No, you're reason? right. After watching Adam Sandler's Murder Mystery, I think that's kind of topped top the genre. <laughs> what more could I want? It's a post-murder mm. mystery world we live in now. <laughs> it's like you can't go back after. Um, no, I think watching a real <clears throat> murder mystery film that has twists and turns that I don't see coming sure. and, you know, characters that are engaging, it's probably going to be a better experience than what I had with murder mystery. Was there any particular actor that stood out to you in that trailer for Knives Out? Mm, um, Chris Evans. Yeah, Chris Evans is the standout for me. He's my favourite, just in life. And also because he's just playing this, like, the antithesis of Captain America. Like, a super dick. Yes. Like, that's fun to see mm-hmm. people play outside of their typecasting, yes. I guess. And obviously Tony Collette, because she's our girl. She is our girl. Yeah. She's great in everything. She is amazing in everything. Looks like Daniel Craig's having a bit of fun in this, too. Yeah. Did I tell you my girlfriend... <laughs> She truly believes that Tony Collette is a bad actress. Yeah, you and did mention Yeah, we've this. got into fights about it before. Yeah, she's wrong. <laughs> she's so wrong. She's just wrong. She's wrong. There's no... There's, there's no it's ifs, hard, It's hard it. to have an argument about that because how do you prove... Some, someone believes so wholeheartedly mm. in something so wrong, how do you convince them otherwise? It's like anti-vaxxers. It's exactly. It's like don't even engage. Yeah, it's like... It's like it's just impossible to In have fact, that In fact, I'm going to our house later tonight. I'm going to be like, Bron and I had a realisation that you were so wrong <laughs> about Tony Collette, you're practically an anti-vaxxer. <laughs> oh, wow. And I'll just see how that goes down. It'll go down well. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I might have to sit on different seats when you're on your flight to, <laughs> to where Perth. you're going to Perth next week. Yeah. Um, well, there was another trailer you watched as well. I did. I watched the latest Jumanji mm. one. It was Jumanji The Next Level, Correct. I believe it's called. Yep. Um, Sequel to... Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, which is a sequel to Jumanji. Jumanji. Yeah. Yes. Cool. Um, I am very excited. <laughs> I was laughing through this trailer. I love The Rock. Mm-hmm. I love him so much. He's like, oh, he's my hero. <laughs> he's, my, he's my personal hero. Um, I just love watching his movies. I think he's a wonderful person. And I also love Jack Black. Yep. And Kevin. My, girl, my girlfriend has that in common with you as well. She loves Jack Black. Oh, he's, he just tickles me pink. I love it. What's the Kevin. Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. Thank you. I was going to say Kevin Smith. I'm like, that is definitely, definitely not, not right. Um, Kevin Hart actually made me laugh in the trailer because I don't find him particularly funny. Sure. But he made me giggle in the trailer. And I, I just love, love, love. The, yeah. Oh. But I was going to say I love the other film. But yes, I do really enjoy her as well. Um, didn't love her in the Guardians films or yeah, the I, Avengers I, films. Yeah, I disagree with you on that one. I really like Nebula, but that's okay. I don't. Um, but I love her in Doctor Who. So, yeah, I'm, I think I might actually see this film at the cinema. <gasps> yeah. My God. I'm not going to wait until it's on a streaming service. I think I'm going to take my girlfriend, Angela, on a romantic date if we don't break up over the Tony Collette thing. Because we like to watch the rock films together. It's just a romantic thing we do. That's beautiful. So, I might take her out on, on a romantic date to watch the rock for two hours. I, we actually, my girlfriend and I saw 
the Welcome to the Jungle at the cinemas, actually. And mm. just it was one of those things where it's like, it wasn't high on my list, but the trailers were fun. We'd heard good things. We both were sort of like up for a fun movie. And, yeah. it, was, and it was good. It was very enjoyable. And I'm there with you. I think I'll probably, mm. there's a good chance I'll see it as like a date movie sort of Double thing. Double date. Could do. Ooh. That's actually kind of cute. We could do that. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, there's a good chance we'll see it for that reason. I agree. It's a fun trailer. The The question was always like after the first one. And so just quick sort of like summary. Kids go into a video game mm-hmm. and when they're in there, they're sort of like playing um, these sort of archetypes inside video games. Yes. And so they end up sort of, they're, they're in bodies that they wouldn't, sort of naturally be themselves. They're mm-hmm. like playing the opposite of themselves sort yes. of thing. And so the second one comes around, it's like, how do you do that story again? And the answer is <laughs> you add in Danny DeVito and Danny Glover. Yep. And that's a great way to do it. That's not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> so if your pitch is the rock playing Danny DeVito, it's like, yep, okay, mm-hmm. you've got my attention. That's that's not bad. Clever. I'm in. I'm pumped. I'm excited. It, mm. it, it looks like it's gonna be fun. It made a shit ton of money too. The last yeah. one. It all- Which is shocking to me because I thought it would have been a flop, but I, it makes sense. I think people after were hungry, it. like a lot of nostalgia for the first Jumanji. Mm. And maybe the trailers were just fun enough. It's one of those things where sometimes you look at a concept and it goes, that's dumb. And then the trailer yeah. go- makes you convince you that's actually going to be okay. You're like, mm. you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I guess it also like caters to a huge demographic as it well. It does. A huge demographic of people that would actually be able to enjoy that film. So it's that smart in that way, like what the Fast and the Furious films do, where there's a bit of diversity in the cast and just like, yeah, there's some, like Jack Black, uh, The Rock, Kevin Hart. Yeah, like you've mm. got some good names in there. Yeah. For sure. Uh, quickly, I'm just going to talk about a couple of things I've seen recently. Went and saw Toy Story 4. Mm-hmm. I just won't spoil anything on that one. Please don't. Um... I also rewatched the original trilogy and lead up to it. So over the weekend, my girlfriend, my brother, and myself, we watched all mm. three original films. I rewatched the, the third because Angela hadn't seen it before. How'd you go? Um, I mean, obviously, I cry in that spot where everyone cries because it always happens. Which spot's that? Do you mean the ending, ending, or do you mean like no, the, the fake out bit? The fake out that okay. is devastating and sure. just like makes you think about your entire life and how you're going to die one day. Um, you know, that one, that it's, bit that happens in Toy Story 3 in, in that no one movie. thought was going <laughs> to. Um, and then obviously tear up at the end, but that p- moment in particular, the fake out is, oh, it's devastating every time. Um, I, I really like Toy Story 3. I think it's wonderful. I adore Toy mm. Story 3. To the point, I you, you I te- may have overwatched it though. Like I think I've watched it so many times that it's probably, I've, I've overcooked it a bit, but. I haven't watched it in a few years. Mm. The, yes, the fake out bit. Gets me emotional. Mm-hmm. It's just dev- it's scary and then it's like devastating that moment. But the ending. Oh, I just remembered the I'm gesturing at Brod at the very end. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And then he goes, mm, that yeah. would have been great for a podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, that everyone mo- knows what you're talking. Yeah. Everyone saying it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah. That moment that. Yeah, always makes me cry as well. Mm. The, 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 the end sequence involving mm. Andy and Bonnie, mm. just that whole like five minutes or so. My girlfriend, apparently, I didn't realise this at the time, had never seen me cry. She has now seen me a fucking mess. (laughs) Like, to the point where it's like, I've seen this movie plenty of times now, but nine years later, it still makes me have to hold in sobs. It affects me so much. Don't you hold them in, boy. You let them out. You let out those sobs. It's completely wet face. We Mm. immediately finished that film and went and watched Toy Story (laughs) 4. 
I hope you looked like you had just been sobbing. I mean, so we people, all did. people are like, what is wrong with those people? We were watching people coming out of the movie to see who was crying. Mm, and yeah. what we noticed was it was a lot of mothers, actually. Crying. A lot of mums mm. were coming out and it's obvious they'd been crying. Yeah. Um, That's cute. Toy Story 4. Nine years after the Toy Story 3, which I think is a perfect fucking ending to that series. Mm-hmm. These stories, right? Yeah. Have been... Completely unconvinced they need to make a fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the marketing for so far did not do much for me. Hasn't worked for me. Yeah, I was not mm. interested in this. Then reviews started coming out mm-hmm. and they were remarkably positive. I'm like, yeah. fuck, I'm going to have to go see the movie. <laughs> so I went and saw it and I'm happy to say it is a really, 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 really good movie. Cool. Like it is great, mm. really good. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish it didn't exist. <laughs> And that's just sort of where I'm at with it. And I think I was talking with another what, friend. But why do you think you don't want it to exist? I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it... I think I actually really like the story it's telling. Mm-hmm. I still really think... My worry, my big, big, big worry, right, mm. is that this... It was such a perfect ending. And we've talked about this with TV series before. It's knowing when to stop. Yeah. We're really looking forward to the fact that Good Place is getting one more season. It feels like a natural end point. Mm-hmm. The longer you go... The closer, the the higher the chance you're gonna ruin it or yeah. do something wrong and gonna tarnish it, right? Mm. And it's like it's not gonna ruin my childhood sort of thing, but I'm I worry that because this movie's gonna make money and because it reviewed so positively, they're gonna make a Toy Story five. In mm. fact, I damn well reckon they definitely will. It won't will. be immediately based on how this one ends. I think it's likely there will be a fifth. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad ending place if you want it to be that way. Do you think they're going to do like trilogies? I wondered, I've thought about that too, whether it's going to be like five and six. Mm. I kind of think it's possible or they might even consider sort of one, two, three and then three, four, five to sort of be like like three sort of a shared movie. Gotcha. That's yeah. sort of like this transition. Connective between, tissue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it sort of works as a end of one, start of another in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's like kind of two trilogies there in that sense gotcha. is my thinking. Um, the I obviously can't and don't want to spoil anything about it. Um, I like what they did with Bo a lot in mm-hmm. this. I love the character of Gabby Gabby. I think she's got one of the best parts of it. That's played by Christina Hendricks. And mm-hmm. it is a great part to this story. Um, the ending is good. I did not get nearly as emotional. I didn't even come close to crying mm-hmm. this time around as I did in the first one, which is like, it doesn't have to make you cry, but I think about the emotional response that ending got to me. So mm. when you go another one and you can't get me to that stage, um, I love Forky. I think the first 20 minutes of this film are really strong in setting up what the film's going to be about. And, and I like it in its context of this one movie. I think it works. I don't necessarily think it overall fits with the others, though. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of undoing rather than adding. If that makes sense? Mm-hmm. It's undoing work it did in the first three rather than adding on top of what this story is, if that makes sense. Yep. And that's a bit that worries me a little bit. That being said, you go in with certain expectations, hopes, and things, especially for a series I love this much. And I definitely want to see it again for two reasons. One, because I want to see how I react to it. Two, because when I saw it the first time, it was out of fucking focus the entire time. <laughs> you want to know why people aren't going to the movies anymore? Because they can't even project the thing on the screen right. <laughs> I was so annoyed. I went out and told people, like, during the trailers, I'm like, the, the, the screen is not in focus. You need to get it fixed. We'll get someone on it. Ten minutes later, it's about to start. 
Have you got... No one's fixed it yet. We sent someone up there. They fixed it. They didn't fucking fix it. And so this is, it's a beautiful movie, no doubt. But it's missing detail. And you're like, mm. this is going to look so much better when I see it again. I love how many terrible experiences you've had at the movies. It's quite funny. That should be like one of your segments. <laughs> yeah, we could. We actually had a good one today, which is nice. We did. But that being said, yeah, really good. Still wish it didn't exist at this point. May change my mind when given chance to absorb it mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. But as a individual work, actually really great. And I don't wish it ill will, except that it didn't exist. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you don't wish it ill will. You just wish it dead. <laughs> Not dead, that it was never born. There's <laughs> a difference. Yeah. Uh, I've also been watching Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, the classic anime that is now on Netflix, streaming for the I could first ever time. go back. Watched it once. I think that's enough for me. I, I haven't been watching it, binging it or anything like that. It's mm. interesting watching it again now. I'm very big fan of the original English dub from back in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. I watched those things on VHS. Oh, on Netflix. Sorry, not Netflix, on SBS. And then... It was always on SBS. It was, that's how... I Constant. mean, it was one of my secret things to just slip away and watch yeah. Neon, uh, Neon Jesus Evangelion on SBS. That and South Park. Um, and then renting it from the video store on VHS and watching it that way. A lot of friends from high school, we sort of became friends around this series. It fucked me up um, and affected, <laughs> has definitely shaped me as a human being as I got older. But it's um, it's interesting just watching it again and watching a lot of new people come to it for the first time. Mm. Remember how a while back I was saying talking about how Film Critic Hulk watched Avatar The Last Airbender yeah. and like was giving thoughts on every episode mm-hmm. and how sort of satisfying that was as an Avatar fan to see someone fall in love with that show that I respected so much. He did the same thing with Evangelion. I think I saw that, yeah. It was it was a fascinating thread and it has been fun to rewatch the show. It really does hold up. It's really great. I'm looking forward to getting deeper into the season again because things get fucked up the more you get into that series. <laughs> things but get insane. Things get insane. Um, the new dub is definitely distracting because I'm so used to the old voices. Um, I'm not sure if I would remember. Yeah. Yeah, you, well, I've watched all the Rebuild movies and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, in fact, I'm a very big fan of the Rebuild movies, which I think is a controversial opinion. I think a lot of mm. people don't like those. Um, but it's really good. And I would actually, watching it now, if you haven't seen it before, I think now is a great time to jump in. If you are curious about this at all, if you've never watched anime and you kind of want to get an idea for like what the whole deal is, mm. Neon Genesis Evangelion is a brilliant place to start. You're kind of starting at the top a little bit, um, but... It's, yeah, I mean, it's what got me into any sort of, like, Japanese storytelling anime. It's it's excellent. I think, like, a lot of people our age got into anime because of this show on SBS all the time. That, Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. Um, Full Metal. And Full Metal Alchemist is a little bit later, but yes, that definitely yeah. helped. And then just Was in- it later? Yeah, Full Metal Alchemist was a little oh, bit later. After Well, after those two had come out. And then... Um, definitely basically just because of the Matrix and like the Animatrix and Ghost in the Shell and Vampire Hunter D. And like Mm. there was a lot of like, because the Matrix was influenced by anime because the Wachowskis were such big fans of anime. Mm. All of a sudden it was like, oh, you got to watch these anime. And so Ghost in the Shell became very popular. Yeah. um, Those sorts of things. Like, yeah, all of- Akira, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. All of us had watched Evangelion- just from like SBS constantly playing yeah. it, and then like, and then you, yeah, you would go on into watching all of the other ones, yeah. and then yeah, that was your gateway drug mm-hmm. entry yeah. into it, and that was like, I always think about like the message boards and stuff I used to go on, like 
it was late 90s, early 2000s and stuff like that. And trying to understand what the fuck I'd watch. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it got me into that uh, sort of like boards. fan culture and those sorts of things. Uh, it's anyway, it's still great. And finally, we have just got back from seeing Spider-Man Far From Home, mm-hmm. the sequel to Spider-Man yes. Homecoming, the MCU version of Spider-Man, Tom Holland as Spider-Man. What did you think of it, Damask? Initial thoughts now that we've been yeah, a couple of Yeah, very hours initial it. thoughts. Um it was it was a good time. It was fun. It's certainly a teen film. I think I said to you as like the credits were rolling. I was like, it's Marvel meets the Liz McGuire movie. That's a really actually a very very good sort of summary. I think. And I think if I was like, I I I did enjoy it. I yep. really did enjoy it. I think if I was like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, I would love it. Mm-hmm. I would really love it. Um, it's got a good sense of humor. I don't find it as funny as many of the other films. I think, like, the humour for me was a little basic. Uh, I would say, yeah, aimed at a younger mm, audience. Yeah, younger audience, which and is fine. I think some of it, because <clears throat> it's definitely playing on, like, that teen movie, teen rom-com sort of thing, mm. feels done. Like, yes. it's not referential, it's just playing the hits. Mm-hmm. Like, you you know these beats. Yeah. And that's fine. And that's because we grew up watching those yeah. movies when they, we, you know aligned with what we thought was exciting and fun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, like, I think teenagers are going to really, really love this movie. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal was wonderfully cast. He was so fun to watch. Yep. Um, Yeah, it was a fun movie. I think it's, like, probably low to middling in my, you know, favourite Marvel movies or, like, how I would rank all of them. Yep. Um, Which doesn't mean it's bad. No, it's it's, it's definitely not MCU bad. MCU has had a ridiculously good yeah. strike rate. Yeah. I would say. Because, yeah, it's certainly better than a lot of the Thors and, for me, Doctor Strange. Like, it's above yep. those ones. Um, but, yeah, it's not in my top tier at all. Yeah. What about you, bro? I agree. I think um, it gets off to a bit of – the very, very, very beginning is actually quite good. Um, like the first like five ten minutes or so. Oh, I, I was laughing quite a bit. There was yeah. a, there was a really good part mm. like early like I think it was just I think it's immediately after the Marvel it is like yeah. logo that's just like that's pretty very great. funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it it's I think it slowly builds. Mm-hmm. It's got it's yeah it's it's building towards something, and when it reaches this moment, the film takes off. Yeah. And it up does and take a while to get there. It takes though. a while to get there. And I think some people expect it coming. And mm-hmm. if you aren't expecting it, I think it's going to be a brilliant uh, moment for you when it sort of hits this pinnacle point in the story. Mm. Um, but it, it, I, I looked at my watch at one stage. I was like, I know this thing's going to come. We're an hour in and it hasn't happened yet. Mm. But once it... Like, and, and until then, I think is also because it's like it just can't really start the story properly until then. Yeah. You feel that sort of... Maybe not spinning its wheels, but it's just inconsequential up until that point. Yeah, you can feel the drag slightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then it kicks into this other gear, and it's like, ah, oh, this is the movie I came to mm. see. This is the Spider-Man movie I really wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And I think it, the the back half of the film is really great. I think it's one of the better third acts that I've mm. seen a Marvel movie for a while. Sometimes yeah. Marvel has been had a problem with um, its third acts being boring and like this is CGI heavy and like it's very like third and fourth acts yeah can be a bit yeah heavy totally but this one I thought I would thought was quite inventive 
Um, I, I really enjoyed the action, sort of climactic action sequence quite a lot. Mm-hmm. The very, very end of that in particular, I thought was really well handled. I like the villain in this quite a bit mm-hmm. um, and definitely stick around through the entire credits. Yes. There is a great, possibly my favourite ever mid-credits sequence. <laughs> like legitimately like... I had hands to my mouth. I couldn't I was about to say that. Broad was like, oh my God. I was so, Mm. it was a great mid credit sequence. Mm -hmm. And then the end credit sequence was pretty much equally as mind blowing. In like thinking back on it, like just in the moment, it's very exciting. It's maybe not as exciting as I thought it was at the time, but it was, it was great. Definitely, especially if you're a fan of all of these movies, if you've kept up with the MCU. Stick around all the way through the end credits. Mm-hmm. That's all I say. Absolutely, yeah. Which I, you should do anyway, because well, why would you? Why I can't would believe leave? people leave Marvel films before the end of the credits. Yeah, who is doing that still at this stage? Maybe people who just aren't that invested in what's coming next. They just saw the film, that was enough, and then they leave. I don't know. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I agree with you. It's sort of mid tier for me. Mm. Um, I think if I ever watch it again, I'll probably skip to the mid point of the movie and sort of watch from there. This isn't this. I don't feel like I need to own on DVD or own on Blu-ray. No, like yes, yeah, certainly think there's moments that I would probably happily fast forward through. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, definitely. I think it's. I don't like it as much as like Homecoming. I think I like Homecoming overall more. Oh, I definitely enjoyed Homecoming more. And yeah. I, I'm just thinking back to my experience of watching that cinema for the first time. There's a moment in that which, thinking back, how much that was just like got me. Mm. Like there is a twist in that movie that like. I just did not see coming, completely blindsided me. I was like, holy fuck. And like the tension that comes from that moment is so perfectly done. Mm. And that this movie doesn't get to that stage at all. It's very interesting and fun, but it doesn't quite reach yeah. that for me. Uh, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Good Omens Season 1. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Good Omens is a biblical fantasy miniseries based on the 1990 novel of the same name by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. A co-production between Amazon Studios and BBC Studios, the series was written and created by Gaiman, who also served as showrunner and directed by Douglas McKinnon, who also directed episodes of Jekyll from 2007, Doctor Who and Sherlock. Set in 2018, the series follows the demon Crowley and the angel Aziraphale, who, being accustomed to life on Earth, seek to prevent the coming of the Antichrist and with it, Armageddon. The series stars an ensemble cast led by David Tennant, Michael Sheen, Adria Arona, Miranda Richardson, Michael McKean, Jack Whitehall, John Hamm, and Francis McDormand as God. Good Omens Season 1 consists of six episodes, each coming in at around 55 minutes. It took us approximately five hours and 30 minutes to watch. I say Season 1 mm-hmm. because it is a mini-series, theoretically. Yes. A one-off. Yes. There was only one book. Yes. This tells the in- entire story of the first book, of the, of the book, apparently. Yes. Apparently, Gaiman has said there were plans for a sequel and that he is not beyond necessarily doing a sequel. So, we're mm-hmm. saying okay. season one, even though there should only be one season. All right. We'll see where we go. Just in case. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, before we get started with our review, though, Damask, how familiar are you with the source material of Good Omens uh, and other Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman work? Uh, I've read American Gods. I think my dad bought me a Terry Pratchett book for Christmas a million years ago. I tried to read it. I didn't like it. Um, And that's about it. Do you Um, you remember what that was? Sorry, what the book was? No. No. That's fine. That's cool. It had something to do with a cat. That's all I remember. Okay. No idea. 
<laughs> no idea. What Cannot about, help you with that one. What about you? Have you read Good Omens? No, have not read Good Omens. I don't think I've read any Terry Pratchett, much to many of my friends' disgust. I have not really... Uh, we've talked about this before, obviously, with American Gods, Neil Gaiman. Really, my familiarity is a bit of Sandman, his episodes on Doctor Who, um, uh, American Gods, the TV series, mm-hmm. and that one time he was on Arthur. Um, mm. <laughs> and now, Good Omens. Really, that's, that's where I come by, Neil Gaiman. So, with that all in mind having very little <laughs> sort of uh, familiarity. Mm-hmm. Can you give us your spoiler-free review of Good Omens Season 1? I can. Uniqueness is good, but it can't be all you have. A show still needs characters that you care about. And while plot is important, obviously, it should serve the characters, not the other way around. Crowley and Aziraphale are served by the plot. We learn more about them as they try and navigate the end of the world. Everyone else, however, in this story is created in order to serve the plot. And those rather large segments of this show drag on and are rather boring. The pacing of this show can rocket forward and then grind to a complete stop in any given episode. You can find yourself being delighted in the first half of an episode only to be completely disengaged by minute 30. Having the author have such a heavy influence on the creation of the TV show may not have helped Good Omens. This is a visual medium and requires a different writing style. A gifted novelist doesn't necessarily make a gifted screenwriter. And I think that's the case here. Television is an art and Gaiman is hindered by his own unique perspective that makes for wonderful novels. It doesn't necessarily translate into a captivating TV show. Like I said earlier, the pacing is off. There is a serious lack of character depth and development and it makes for an unsatisfactory story overall. It's a real shame that a screenwriter wasn't hired who could capture what was beloved in the novel and create something new. Having only six episodes, this is a breezy watch and a rather good way to spend a lazy Sunday. The performances by Sheen and Tennant are effortlessly charming. There is a certain amount of whimsy that I found engaging but may be off-putting to some. This is not a great TV show, but it is good. What about you, Rob? I think I agree in a lot of ways with what you said. I think uh, my line was, I was thoroughly whelmed by this show, (laughs) I think is Mm -hmm. the best way of putting it. I was not really blown away by it. Um, Early on with the show, I think there's a lot to admire about its style, Mm -hmm. um, its silliness. It's definitely going for, I mean, I think this is, without being super familiar with it, very Pratchett sort of hallmark, but it had a lot of... Invoked a lot of like Douglas Adams, Monty Python, mm, Doctor totally. Who, those sorts of things. The way it's structured reminded me a lot of like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and mm. stuff like that. That you imagine the Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide like giving these little like anecdotes about how the universe was created, the or narration, the and narration all that stuff. stuff like yeah. that. God's narration is so much doing that, mm. and I think the first episode really encapsulated a lot of my feelings of the season overall, um, where. I'm definitely very invested in like Crowley and Aziraphale in a big way. Mm-hmm. I think Michael Sheen and David Tennant are doing a fantastic job. They're really well cast. They really bounce off each other fantastically. I love their costume. I love the way they walk and like their their presence inside the show is excellent. Anytime we're with them and especially when they're together, I am really, really, really into this show. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes to me, I just felt like I was being dragged through 
these other segments for the sake of being there. Like they weren't a bad idea on their own and mm-hmm. as encap- like encapsulized segments themselves, they're not bad, but they don't necessarily, they're less than the sum of their parts, I guess. Well, the show is lesser than the sum of its parts. Parts. The, um, the like for instance, early on in episode one, there's a sequence where God is sort of narrating this like, now pay attention because of this card trick bit, right? Mm. Where there's like a, a baby swap going on. Mm-hmm. And it really went on for a long time. The point was like, Either you think I'm really dumb or you think this is really clever and it's not. Uh, I was kind of like, um, feel like, I don't know. I just wasn't engaged with the pace of the show at that stage. And then as we move into episode two and three and four, we're introduced to these other characters, some of which I don't mind. I'm a big fan of Adam and his little group of kids and dog. I quite liked them as a concept and I, I didn't dislike being with them necessarily. Mm-hmm. Adam in particular, I thought was a reasonably interesting character without necessarily being super invested in him, right? Mm. Yeah, I think like like you said, I think there's some really interesting concepts sure. there. But then ultimately I'm like, I thought that was going somewhere better or deeper than that and it actually didn't. I found that I, unsatisfactory. Because I, I, by episode six, I was like, when it's coming together, I'm like, oh, this is the story you were telling. You just sort of told it in the most straightforward, like, allegorical way almost. Mm. Like, there are ideas of, like, the younger generation having to move on from older generations and not let let the past dictate their future and Mm -hmm. they've got to take charge and we need to let the kids, the younger generation, take charge and fix the world and those. Like, concepts like that, all for it, Mm -hmm. right? Concepts on, like... The difference between good and evil and, like, maybe humanity, which is somewhere in between, is really more what life is meant to be and trying to adhere to one or the other. Like, there's a lot of ideas in there which can be poetic, but (laughs) not necessarily engaging to see it play out in front of you, I guess. Mm. Then there are other characters, though. Like, I'm not a massive fan of Pulsifer and the witch witch lady. Mm. I found their story to be... Awful. So boring. Just, I so just, boring. I just, there was nothing about their characters that did a lot for me. And even worse was Witchfinder Sergeant Shadwell yeah. could not have cared less about that character mm. or this or his journey. And, like, I've seen stuff with... What that, journey? He was an arsehole, then he was an arsehole, then he was an arsehole. Michael McCain plays that character. Mm. Can you explain to me for any reason why they had to get an American to play a Scotsman? And do such a terrible job with the accent. It made no sense to me. Did he do a terrible job with the accent? Absolutely. His first episode in particular, mm. all I kept hearing was him falling out of accent. It was right. drove me insane. This is a BBC production. You cannot find another Scotsman to do this role. Any Scotsman to I do this I guess they role. just really liked him as an actor. Didn't, I don't know. Did, did, did not understand that choice at all. Okay. And that's not necessarily that he is doing anything wrong. I just think he's miscast. Or... Mm. I just I'm baffled by that casting choice, but okay. whatever. By the way, I'm no authority on Scottish accents. My Scottish accent is fucking notoriously terrible. Do it now. No, I'm not. No, <laughs> I refuse to do it. But I I felt it was really I was, I'm seeing that watching going, it wasn't my my initial thought was, Oh, is he really English? And then it's like, No, you are very American. Why? And I had to I was like double checked, like, mm. why are you here? Anyway, that's really not a big deal. Okay. Um Yeah, and th- I agree with you on 
on that sentiment in general. Um, just about these other parts, which are just a distraction from what I thought was the the really enjoyable story here um, of Crowley, oh Crowley and Aziraphale. Mm-hmm. Um, I also thought humor wise, it was very referential humor rather than necessarily. Like, there are references to a lot of different movies and things in there or television shows. There's mm. an Office reference, which I quite like. It's fairly subtle, but I, I which I thought was clever. And then there are references, references to, like, Dirty Harry or, or... I think it's Dirty Harry or one of those um, Dirty Harry films. And, like, Back to the Future and, like, all these sorts of things in there. I'm like... I, referential humor is the almost the lowest form of humor. If what you're doing is just nodding at something else to try and make me go, oh, it's that thing. It's like you've you've uh, lost me. Your brain would explode if you ever watched um, Gilmore Girls. Probably. <laughs> it's kind of all it is. Yeah. Um, I found that a bit annoying. And then the other thing that's in this, it's got a really nice score and it has a fuck ton of Queen in there, mm. which I think. I, they, they align with a particular character and I can see what they're doing there. But boy, did they hit me over the head with it. Queen must be cheap. Mm. Or maybe it's just the flavour of the month because yeah, of Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, I worked for me once or twice. But beyond sometimes that, I was did. like, nah, I don't need that now. Yeah, sometimes mm. it did. And then they play bicycle because someone has a bicycle. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> did we need to do that? That seemed beside the point to me. Mm-hmm. So what, what my frustration is is that I can see this great core story in there with great performances from mm. our two leads. And then all these things are distracting us from actually exploring and, and appreciating that part Spending of it. Spending the time where we want to be spending it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And ultimately, I'm left going, this was six episodes, it runs for five and a half hours. Maybe this was just a movie, really. Mm-hmm. Maybe this could have just been a movie where we cut, trim the fat and keep it focused mm-hmm. and maybe it's not as true to the books, but again, like we were talking about with game and stuff earlier, maybe that story, the way it's being told, works better as a book. And I kind of think that's true of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, if we're going back to, mm. which is not Pratchett, that's uh, Douglas Adams. But that movie is actually quite similar in that, yeah, I don't think that quite came off ultimately as a film. It didn't quite get there. Just those those funny asides and strange little quirky moments don't necessarily come together to create a satisfying whole. They work maybe better in that book format. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, ranting, I was, I enjoyed it well enough. I was surprised how often I was looking to go, go to Twitter or something like that, like look away from what's happening on screen. Yeah, because I watched it a little while ago. And so, and the first time I watched it, I watched it with my girlfriend. So, obviously, I wasn't going to be checking my phone every two seconds. Sure. Because rude. But, yeah, re-watching it just to kind of refresh a little bit. I, yeah, if... Sheen and Tennant weren't on screen. Yeah. I was on my phone. Yeah. And, yeah, there are whole long stretches where they're not on mm. screen at times. You know what I just realised? I was remembering a Gaiman adaptation that did work for me. Was Stardust. Was Stardust, yeah. Which I haven't seen. I but really, that was... I've watched it in years, but I remember watching it and being like, this is good. Did that, did that work for you more as a straightforward, like, focus story as yeah. a movie? Yeah. Totally. So that doesn't surprise me. Mm. And I haven't. Have you read the book Stardust? No. Yeah. Okay. I've got it. I'm a terrible reader. I don't get around <laughs> to reading as much as I should. I would like to because I'd like to. That'd be an interesting, like little exercise to read that book and watch that movie and see whether it's just a better story to adapt or whether mm. they just do a better job adapting it to yeah. a different medium as well. What's your score 
out of five stars, Damascus. I'm giving it a three. Yeah. I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it a three point five. Mm-hmm. Um because I was um, well enough amused, except for the bits where I wasn't. <laughs> um, and I really, really, really loved what Michael Shea and David Tennant were doing. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to talking about um, Aziraphale and Crowley because um, they are great characters. Mm-hmm. And if and I'm actually not averse to a follow-up story that was focused on them about more. Them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot there mm-hmm. to discuss, and that's interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really appreciate you sharing the podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Something we've talked about a lot when it comes to the shows that we like is when we are invested in character. Yes. Right. And so, obviously, that's why we enjoyed the Crowley, Crowley, uh, Xerophel stuff so much and why we didn't connect with some of the side characters. Mm. But a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours I was talking to today made a good point about you said that the, the characters serve the narrative rather than the other way around. Right? Yes. The characters I didn't like, yeah. The characters didn't like. Yeah. Is there some way that that is kind of part of what the show is discussing? Particularly when you think about the witch and the witch finder, Mm. right? And they're like, she has been following these prophecies that have predicted the future so accurately her entire life. I mean, her role in the story is to announce what's happening in the plot next. Totally. That's totally her role, yeah. And to just follow this this path she's been laid upon. Um, and he, without knowing it, has sort of been destined for this moment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, is there some value in while, yes, the, in in the actual meta text being that these people are just following a predestined plan and that yeah. that's the story that, that's happening in their life and that choice at the end to throw that at war to burn those next set of prophecies so that... Mm. I think you can certainly have characters who, yeah, like the witch, you know, is following a prophecy, following out a plan that has been laid out for her mm-hmm. and obviously like this young man following a destiny that has been up until that point quite rough on his life. Yep. You can have those characters but you can also like allow me to really get to know them as people. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think that's... That's the real issue is that I don't 
other than their function, they are not people, which is the problem. Yeah. No, I yeah. 100% agree because I think they're there is a l- interesting discussion there, especially when you talk about like, I think there's a lot to be dis- discussed about like the one prophecies or prophecies in yeah. general in storytelling. There's a lot to be sort of picked apart and made fun of mm. and stuff there. And both those function, both those characters have that sort of built into them, mm-hmm. the potential for that. Yeah, the discussion that you can have about what that means about your identity and how you see yourself. Yeah. Yeah, is a really interesting story and if you want to poke fun like this show wants to do about a lot of things about that the one story there's space to do it so i I don't see why you couldn't and the idea of a grand plan like Mm -hmm. they talk about the great plan versus the ineffable plan and like those sorts of things and they have that moment with satan (laughs) um or no no that's actually with uh gabriel and um uh, yeah Mm. um like that moment is quite good Mm -hmm. Um, but again, it's just like the moment happens, it didn't feel like we had the bigger discussion around it or we didn't mm-hmm. mind that that for its potential, really. We missed out on the good stuff underneath the surface, which is what frustrated me. Yeah, I, th- that is frustrating because there are these huge concepts and there's so, like you said, so much to mine there. Mm. And we, it's like we are given the answers without, and they haven't shown the working out. Which, like, when you're in a test, you can't do that. Like, like I want to see the working out. Like, I want, as a viewer, be able to go, this plus this plus this. It's all like, okay, I can see what the work that's gone, that that has happened for these characters to truly come to this realisation, for it all to kind of fit in nicely in a way that is satisfying and makes me f- really feel like I've gone on a genuine journey. Because I think they do do some work it's just ends up not being effective like there are discussions between pulsifer and the witch where he's talking about you can't let these prophecies from years ago you know a thousand years ago whatever it is mm. define you or guide your whole life and she's like well i've been doing it my whole life and it's like the thing is as well is the choice is made after like the battle's over it's yeah. like it would mean so much more if she had to make that choice at a crucial moment but mm-hmm. it's just that oh we did we did what we were told to do oh there's more mm, yeah. and like that's not completely without merit but it feels like beside the story rather than the story she just they just do fill, fulfill their part in the prof, in, in the great plan or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it and then then afterwards when we don't know what the stakes are anymore there are no stakes theoretically mm-hmm. they let that's, it go that's yeah. when they let it go and it's like well that's not very I'm not invested in that am I like no. there's no surprise there anymore or <laughs> um, yeah I I I'm disappointed by that as well. Yeah, I think I just like yeah, I I can see that I see what they're doing. Yeah, I just wish there was, I guess, more effort. There was more nuance. There was more time spent. Yeah, on a true understanding of of character. The the a part of what gets in the way, I think, is actually just the structure with this god narrating it and mm, like telling yeah. us these things we just get glimpses of these moments at arm's length yeah we don't, everything's explained to us and yeah. i'm thinking of like all the scenes with pulsifer and shadwell and like i did not care for any of that he goes to a job he loses his job after day one and then he decides to join up with Witchfinders. Mm. i was never really privy to that yeah like, and i think this thing of you know, with the narration and everything being explained to us, yeah, that you are, are told very 
early on that you can't really ask the question, but why? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that does hinder it a little bit when you can't be curious. And so they can take these shortcuts of like, oh, and then he just is hanging out with witch finders. Mm. And I don't like that kind of storytelling. Like I want to be able to like, oh, go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. If I'm not allowed to do that, I find it frustrating. Is it possible that we are missing the irony here or we're missing a comment that's being made about, is this style of storytelling trying to do something that we uh, keep trying to put our own expectations for how stories work Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair that this is just not my taste. Yeah. I think like I'm... I don't begrudge anyone who really, really enjoyed it. And totally, like yeah. it's it's absolutely their sense of humor and the the tone of the show is something that they really enjoy. That's mm-hmm. awesome. But it, yeah, it's not it's not my taste is the thing. What I find interesting is that um with this show, watching sort of the reaction online, mm. all the talk is about Aziraphale and mm-hmm. Crowley, right? And you don't hear them talking about Pulsifer or Shadwell or those characters. I've seen, mm. and like, yeah, visually they're interesting to do. So, of course, there's going to be a million different fan art of those two characters. But <laughs> I think, yeah, rule 34. <laughs> um, but I think that if that, I think it speaks to the fact that people also just found them engaging and they, they mm. were able to invest in their relationship. And that's part of a big part of the reason that people mm. want to make art beyond the visual of it they wanted to and it was a complicated relationship Very there much was so. so much there so many layers there and you know the performances are wonderful and both sheen and tenant were able to because there is obviously a huge distance between them and a very different ways in which they communicate and neither really know how to connect properly with someone mm-hmm. and so watching these other beings, you know, slowly fall in love mm. over, you know, centuries and dealing with that and reckoning with that and the complications that come with a total inability to communicate how you feel about someone. It's makes for a really interesting story. And, like, that's what this show ultimately, yes, is about, but I think should be more focused on. Well, yeah, it should be more focused on because the time we spend away from it is not doing anything nearly as good so you get frustrated and mm. so you just wish there was less of the other stuff and more of uh, Aziraphale and Crowley. And it's interesting what you're saying as well because that relationship is complex and it's mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not subtle but there, it is surprisingly subtle at times as well. Like, mm. it's not all just... God never says these guys are in love. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not... It's never really spoken. There's no big kiss or anything like that. Some might not even necessarily think it's romantic or anything Mm -hmm. like that, right? And that's fine. And there is like... I I think they're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) But there's like... There's a more complex... I mean, just because by by nature of being like um, demons and angels, Mm. it's more... It's There's something complex Mm -hmm. and different about that to than human relationships anyway. Because, uh, you know, it's so much of that is representative of just like their communication style is yeah. different because of their inherent nature. Yeah. The way that they connect is very, very different. And so they have to like battle that just to be close. And I think that's beautiful. And so when it's doing that mm. so well, <laughs> it's baffling to see that not reflected in the other relationships in the yeah. in the story. Um, I 
I said there's not. I don't think there's a huge amount to discuss here. I think there's a lot that I would like to just talk about little moments that I liked or disliked. Mm-hmm. But I like. I've got really no energy to talk about Shadwell and the. Um, I don't have any woman. notes about that. I don't care about that. Yeah. A very other than like. Shadwell is a fucking asshole. Okay, here's one thing I do have to say, and it's not really, I guess, a discussion we can have. It's just a fact sure. is that I don't understand why these women are sleeping with these men. Yeah, totally. I really, really did, especially didn't understand it actually with Pulsifer. Like, <sighs> there was, they just did because, again, they were like told to, but like, mm. shouldn't there be some discussion about how maybe she's not actually into this guy? But it seems like they're like it destined to be in love. It was so weird that like, she didn't really want to have sex with him, but then had to, which made me feel quite uncomfortable. But then also, like, this sex worker woman eventually falls in love with a man who is fucking terrible to her and is, like, I think emotionally abusive. And it's like, yeah. is this meant to be funny or charming or I don't know? Fuck this guy. Fuck him. He's not, like, I didn't find him amusing. Just, I found him infuriating. And just, I, I have no idea how we got to the point of him actually liking her. Like, or her genuinely liking him. Yeah. There's, there was, I didn't mind that, that she was like titillated by the way he talked to her. Like she, that's fine. Mm. But don't pretend to me that this is a deep or mm. compelling relationship. Or caring relationship. Or caring relationship. Yeah. 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 It's like, you can do that level of like, oh, I'm getting hot and bothered because you- Bit of funny back and forth, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's I'm okay with that if you want to mm-hmm. do that. That's just like that's what she's into. Yeah. But to to I definitely didn't believe, and there was nothing about the way they interacted or what they did along their journey that got me to a point where I'm like, oh yeah, these two mm. belong it was together. Like, yeah, all this stuff right at the end with like, and this happened, so therefore like the story is a good one. Like with, you know, the the witch and the witch finder or whatever. Yeah. They get to that point. It's like, oh, I, okay, I guess. And then like obviously Shadwell and that woman fall in love. So you're like, cool? I don't know. Like it wasn't in the story. That was the ending of the story, but that wasn't for me in it. What about Adam the Antichrist? What did you think about him and like the... The, the, yeah, they certainly did a better job with so. that part of the story. And I found that particularly charming and quite English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the way, you know, going, it kind of reminded me of like Christopher Robin almost, like going off and having these adventures, creating their own worlds. I thought that was quite well done. And I actually did think the relationship that he developed with, I can't remember the witch's name. What's her name? I don't know. Cool. With the witch, I thought that was quite sweet and showed that he had this really beautiful soft side. Um, Yeah, I mean, becoming the Antichrist, that's a pretty big fucking... Oh, Anamatha device? Um, You nailed it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I'll just call it device. Ms. Device. Ms. Device. Um, Yeah, so like obviously becoming the Antichrist, big fucking deal. Um, I, I guess I just wanted more from that, but I also, the way that it's resolved and the way that it ends with his, the, 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 the man that raised him, who he considers to be his father and is his father coming in and that being a really meaningful moment. Mm. I didn't feel that it was meaningful cause I didn't 
get a whole lot from that relationship. It was yeah. like more him and his friends, which was great. Yeah. And there are moments I notice on the rewatch, there are a few times when the dad is clearly like shut off and very distant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if that was going to be a really meaningful relationship and a huge statement at the end being like, you're not my dad, that guy is, probably would have needed a bit more from that, I totally. think. Yeah. Anathema device anathema anathema it's actually a great name um Mm. yeah no 100% agree with you on that the i that statement is great like you're not my real dad and the the nature of Mm. of adam at that stage to actually have control of reality and make that a physical reality i Mm -hmm. think is what's suggested he is actually he's like i have taken the idea that i've adopted this man as my actual dad to like i have created that is so true Mm -hmm. that is now true of reality now yeah there's something really uh, poetic about that, and I think speaks but didn't to get to that point because yeah. they spent no time together. <laughs> and it speaks to the other parts of this story, you know, particularly with our with um, Crowley and uh, Aziraphale. Thank you, I can't remember the names. Um, you know about, about chosen family and how yeah. you you know you might be told that you belong to this side or this side or yep. this family, but it's who you choose to spend your life with mm-hmm. that is the important thing. So, if that's the story that we're telling, give me more, give me more. They literally, like, I'm just trying to think of the, the moments with the dad. They have the moment where he's like, he, the mum comes in about, oh, he's sweet, really. He's like, oh, yeah, when he's asleep. When he's and, asleep like, yeah. and, like, and we have a discussion where Adam talks to his friends about how his dad let him have the dog. Mm. Like, could we have had that scene? Yeah. Could we have the, the scene where the dad has to, like, oh, all right, then, you know, obviously you really like it and. Mm. You know, this is, but these are the rules. Like, this is what you're going to have to do with the dog. Like, why is that scene of them together outside of when he's first given to them as a baby there? Mm. If you want that moment to land, you have to give me the work. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> it does work as a concept. It just doesn't work in execution, I mm-hmm. don't think. Um, and yeah, I, I, in general, I quite, I was surprised how much I liked that actor. At, at times, I was a little bit worried. The actor of Adam Young, I mean, I was times a little bit worried he was a little bit like nothing going on there, but there's something. I thought he was quite good. Yeah, yeah. I think he is ultimately because he, he, he does just embody that like childhood, mm-hmm. like innocence where like he's not inherently bad. In fact, he's quite good, but he's got this naughty streak to him. Mm-hmm. And that's a good, that's actually not a bad thing either. And yeah. that, that he embodies that humanity and that, that is really, we all should have that. That line at the end, again, it's poetic. It's beautiful of like, there was never an apple worth taking. Something like, yeah, apple was always worth the price of taking it or something mm-hmm. like that, right? Beautiful. Really brings the whole story full circle when we started the Garden of, Garden of Eden and stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Like the idea of like, being a bit naughty is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, yeah. it's very, it can be a very good thing in its own like, way. Look at Rebellion what you can and like, gain and yeah, yeah from it. Mm-hmm. And the trouble you get into even is you know part of the journey too. Like mm-hmm. there's there's lots there. Yeah. How well executed that getting to that point? Different story. And how much work we have to do to sew it together sometimes is. Yeah, I a see bit the pilly. broad strokes. It's mm. just like, but it is just a broad stroke. You forgot to make me feel it. Um, but let's go back to. Aziraphale and Crowley. Mm-hmm. From your perspective mm. as a queer woman, how did you, how you? find... Mm. Sorry, that's no, a dirty word. <laughs> uh, yeah, how did you find their relationship? Did you think it was... I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Tell me I why. Was, the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, they are so cute. Aren't they? They cute are is a good so, word for it. so cute. And just, ah, oh, they... Okay, there's a couple of moments that made me just go, oh, oh my God. 
God. Like when um, they've done their whole like one, they're like flashbacks at the beginning of episode three where we go, which man. is the best part of the show. By a mile. By a mile. That first like 25, 30 minutes. So good. So good. Anyway, like when, during um, like 1941 in London and he's meeting up with the Nazi spies and they blow up the church. Yeah. And then he, you know, um, a, a, a zero fail. A zero fail. Thank you. Zero fail. Yeah. Um, he's so upset because he's like, oh, I forgot about the books. Oh, and he's so upset. And then Crowley just picks him up. He's like, here you go. It's a miracle from me. And he's so touched. Oh, it made me so, so, so excited. And then, you know, obviously when he then gives um, Crowley the holy water, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll drop you anywhere. I'll drop you anywhere. And he's like. You go too fast for me, Crowley. That's actually, yeah, you go too fast for me, Crowley, is my... Oh, and I, the way he says it is just so beautiful yeah. and sad. And it's just like, it makes me feel so many things. <laughs> like, I, it was that relationship. It was a, a wonderful rom-com for me. Those, those segments. I'm, I'm enjoying this so much. There's so much love there. It's complicated. They're both endearing in very different ways. They work so well off each other. Mwah, I loved it. Have you seen a lot of Michael Sheen in stuff? Like, obviously, we've seen quite a bit of DT, I think, at this point. We're even saying DT. Um, of David Tennant. I've never referred to him as DT I'm just, before. I'm just thinking, because ever since Olivia Coleman or uh, Collie, <laughs> ever mm. since listening to that podcast, it's become DT to me. Okay, right. Um, yeah, have you seen a lot of Michael Sheen in other stuff? Um, I've seen him in Thirty Rock. Yep. I've seen him in The Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, he was who did he play in that? He was um one Tony of Blair. Ministers. Tony Blair. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I've really <clears throat> pardon me, I've really seen him in little things here and there mm. more than anything. Um, in um, what do you call it? Uh, Tron Legacy. Like he's, oh, right. he plays a part in that, that he's really funny in that. He's actually similarly styled white hair and like white uh, coat and those sorts of things right. in that one. Playing a very different character though. Um, and like I've seen him along the way in little bits and pieces here and there. Oh, but Masters, of, Masters, Masters of, of Sex. Sex. That's yeah. the one that a lot of people talk about. Yeah, as being his the first season of that, I think. Yeah. Sure. And so I've always known he was a good actor. It was great to see him really, for, the, for me, really see him in a meaty role like this. And I thought mm. he was... I. Yeah, I feel like I haven't seen enough of him in these sorts of roles. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm great to see him getting a really fun role. Apparently, in he's, he's really good in The Good Fight as well. Right, that doesn't mm, surprise me I at all. Seen. I haven't seen The Good Wife, so. Uh, no, me either. I'm I think well you can behind. start one without the other, but yeah. That's what I hear, but I, I wouldn't. That's not You're how just I... not, not in your DNA to do that? No. No, I, uh, I, I agree with you. I love their stuff together. Um, the, the, the flashbacks to... And, just the idea of just them as these eternal beings that are fighting for good and fighting for evil, mm-hmm. who then realise that, like, we're just cancelling each other out. Why <laughs> yeah. don't we... We need to come up with some sort of arrangement here because we don't need to be doing the work mm-hmm. the way that we are. It's funny in itself. And then that sort of just familiarity that breeds and mm-hmm. then the little bits that they admire in one another. Someone... Um, I saw a tweet and I don't... Ca- I should, like, rep- like, reference who it is or whatever. I don't know who it was. But made a great point about the way... They play each other in the final episode mm. when they're pretending to be each other. Mm-hmm. And I think they said something along the lines of like, um, a zero fail makes um, 
Crowley out to be so cool, right? <laughs> he just sees him as being so cool, the mm. rubber duck bit, yeah. and like the getting having Michael Miracle in a towel and stuff mm. like that. Mm-hmm. And then the opposite of that is Crowley just sees a zero or plays Aziraphel as such a brave mm. character. He just is noble s- and yeah. just steps into this mm-hmm. moment so nobly and with such courage. Yeah, I was just like, fuck, that's. So true. It's it's and I do love the way they're playing the other person playing them and mm-hmm. like that's a that's a wonderful sequence. And even just the, the very end moment I thought was really cute. The whole like dining at the Ritz and mm. the Nightingale and Barclay Square. I was like, Oh, this is beautiful. <sighs> it is gorgeous. Yeah, I mean the way it ends and just obviously them dining at the Ritz, just it made me happy. I yeah. was like I have really enjoyed that part of the story like very very much yeah like it, a it was, lot i really really did like it so so much and i know we've been speaking quite negatively mm. but those two characters the way that story plays out the performances we get mm-hmm. really is pretty great and especially when they're together mm-hmm. and i like them a lot when they're apart but there are a couple of episodes where they're like separated for a while mm. i was like boy i'm missing these yeah guys together they just they work so great as a little mm-hmm. double act uh, is there anything you would have done differently or would like to have seen more of with them? Or do you think it rides that line well? Like it's um, I, it's I, not super explicit. No. I, I think well, I think it is in some ways very explicit um, that this is a romantic sort of I mean, we have that affection. man on the street when they have like their breakup or whatever and he's like, oh, I've been there. Like you've yeah. just got to let it go, that kind of thing. And there's no denying <laughs> it. None of them ever go, oh, no, I'm not like, it's, you know, it's not the that The classic no homer that needs to do in which one man hugs another man and the other man goes, oh, we don't hug exactly. kind of thing. Exactly. The no homer stuff. There's no denial there. No, I, I mean, I like it because they are these ethereal beings. Mm-hmm. I don't need it to totally reflect a human romantic relationship but it is certainly romantic to me i i like the the line at skirts i, I do too mm. i think there's a subtlety to it in that they never have to expressly state i love you yes right it's the little moments like you mm-hmm. go too fast for me crowley and yeah. like though and yeah it's things like that and obviously I'd- how upset crowley is when he's dead yeah and, yeah. yeah that is wonderful it that says sequence. a lot um, did you have any favourite lines, any favourite moments, anything like that you wanted to talk about? I mean, the you go too fast for me was certainly up there. Um, I didn't write any down, mm-hmm. but there was, I mean, I had plenty of laugh out loud moments and oh, moments and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There are a few lines in particular that worked for me. The you go too fast for me, Crowley was up there. I didn't mean to fall. I just hung out with the wrong people yeah. and just like, just. <laughs> Just in terms of like really exploring how Crowley and I do love how they keep talking about how you were an angel once, yeah. right? That you see the look of regret on his face. Yeah. But you talked about how they're so distant, and mm. yet they are so similar in some ways as well. And yeah. I really re- liked that sort of just, you know, if I'd just done something a little bit differently, I would have been on a completely different path mm-hmm. here. The regret there is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I also liked, um. The little moments along the way, the, there's a bit where there's a camera going into Pulse of his bedroom when he's a kid. Mm-hmm. He's like playing on his computer. His mum comes in. Mm. And I've seen this shot a million times in Harry Potter where it goes, goes through the through, window. And this time it just b- bumps into yeah. it. I thought it was quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, I know I didn't say I didn't like the reference stuff much, but I did like the subtlety of this reference where mm-hmm. they film the scene where he's in the office like the office. Mm-hmm. 
I thought that was just because they didn't say it outright. They didn't do the music. They just shot it handheld doco style mm-hmm. just for that two minute sequence. Yeah. That wasn't too bad. Um, my One of my favorite moments where I was like, this is a really clever story is the number of the beast bit is so inspired. Where in the prophecy, it's like... Oh, the phone number. Fuck, that makes me laugh. <laughs> the literal number of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> making yeah. that a literal thing yeah. like that. And and the way they just in general turn like these the imagery or the... Of like revelations of the um, apocalyptic prophecies. How they translate those into the story. Like the four riders or... I hate the four riders. I, I hate them... In their execution overall. Yes. But, like, the idea of them riding motorcycles instead of... Um, or the idea of how they represent or are relevant to modern day, I quite liked. Like, war is very straightforward. Mm-hmm. But, like, famine being, like... Um, Food devoid of nutrition. Exactly. Yeah. Or just even smaller quantities. Mm-hmm. Like, this idea of, like, that we revel in, like, less food yeah. than we used to have. And then pollution was a straightforward one as well mm-hmm. um, instead of pestilence, which we don't have anymore. Like, those little ways you apply them to modern living, I thought was quite... Mm-hmm. Though, uh, the ideas are there. Yeah. And the way they translate those, that sort of iconic apop- apocalyptic... Imagery into the story, I I, I liked in a lot of ways. Um, I loved John Hamm as Gabriel in general. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's just a delight. He's great as an asshole. He well, he's very good at it. Yeah, to the point where it makes you wonder that like kind of perky you? asshole. You're yeah, like, oh, yeah. Uh, and his purple eyes were very cool too. Mm-hmm. Um, they always look like galaxies. Yeah, yeah. It's in, uh, it's quite striking. Mm. Um. What he, what do you say that got everyone so upset? Be kind to each Good other. Job. Oh, yes, they'll do it. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Uh, love the close-up of Crowley as he drove through the Ring of Fire around London as well. There's mm-hmm. just this really intense close-up of D- David Tennant as he's driving, which is was very good. And then I think one of my favourite moments of the whole thing, which is maybe a little bit crass and a little bit dumb, but when at the end of episode four, I think it is, when mm. um, Aziraphale is pushed into the circle and he's just, oh, fuck, and then... Gone and just because mm. you don't expect that to ever come out of his mouth, yeah, was quite funny. Worked for you, striking. Was uh, earned that. It was but, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you felt how mm-hmm. big a deal this was. Um, yeah, for him to say that, like, that makes you go, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I didn't like a lot. Ooh. I, you know the signs that come up that go, you know, how many hours until the end of the world or mm-hmm. where they are and stuff. Just, I know it's a really little nitpicky thing. I just didn't like the aesthetic of that every time it happened. Okay. I got a little over that. Mm. I thought it was a little too cute for cute's sake or very- Didn't bother me. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's something about it I didn't like. I didn't like the Dirty Harry bit, which we talked about. That's when he's got the holy water. And it's like, mm. why are we doing this? This is yeah. this is not funny or interesting or anything. Um, And like just moments that like, I think- maybe feel like a good idea, but then in execution mm. don't work great, where Crowley gets Hester, or whatever his name is, stuck in his answering machine. Yeah. I was like, what? what, what is this? I didn't understand that anyway. But um, one thing, I just remember something that I did really like, sure. was when um, Crowley is at the movies, and it, what's his name? Hester. Yeah. <laughs> and he's at that kind of like claymation stop motion animation. Yeah. And he's a bunny. He takes off his head and like beats that other bunny to death. I just thought that it was so adorable. Sure. But so violent. I was like, that's, that's quite funny. I, I didn't mind it. when he communicated to him through like that more good morning America mm. set sort of thing as well. Yeah. Just the, that would have been fun to shoot. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note.
Did you like the opening titles? I did. I really, I really liked enjoyed them, them a lot. And the more you watch the show, the more you understood sort of like yeah. what those different elements were. And kind of reminiscent of in Deathly Hallows that sequence. Sure. Mm. I always just kept thinking of Terry Gilliam's like work on Monty Python. That makes sense, yeah. Very, very much in that yeah. style. But that theme song as well is really, really good. Mm-hmm. And every time it was reorchestrated in the end credits as well, always worked for me quite well yeah. as well. I think I watched it every time. Yeah, me yeah. too. I definitely watched it through. And I we've talked a lot in the past particularly you have a pet peeve with like that all opening tile sequences have become the same. Yeah. So it was nice to have something that something was different, something different, a bit refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, did you read about the petition for Netflix to cancel Good Omens? What? No. There was this Christian group, religious group in, I think I'm going to guess in the US, Yeah. that started <laughs> a petition guess. that got like 20,000 signatures or something like that before it became news to for Netflix to cancel Good Omens. Because it's like, you know, normalizing Satanism and stuff Fucking like this. Fucking nonsense. But just a waste of time. But you realize the problem with that, right? Because they're asking Netflix to cancel Good Omens. This oh. is on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> that's very good. I oh, just that's cute. L- that's really funny. Love that. And there was a good interaction Aww. between Netflix and Amazon. I think Netflix said, yes. We will cancel Good Omens. You'll never see another season of Good Omens from us. And then Amazon was like, we'll, we'll cancel Stranger Things if you cancel Good Omens. <laughs> That's so cute. Uh, least favourite and favourite episodes. Damascus, what was your f- least favourite episode? My least favourite was probably episode two, The Book. Sure. Because um, it was the intro. Because I didn't mind the first episode. I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I, I think I get what's happening here. I'm very interested in these two characters. Cool. Yep. And then... The book happened and I felt like a big, like, the brakes were on. I'm learning about all these new people. I didn't find them anywhere near as engaging or interesting. And I was like, oh, maybe it's not going to be as good as I thought it was. What's your least favorite, bro? It's actually episode four, but I I think you're not wrong with that because Mm. I started watching this a while back when it first came out. Mm. Got through the first episode, got into the second episode and stopped. Yeah. Because I was like, I had a while to watch it. I knew we weren't reviewing it for a little while. Mm. I was like, I'm just, I was just, was fell out of it. Yeah. And I had to rewatch that episode two or three times because I kept finding it so disengaging. Yeah. Um, for the exact reason you talk about. I was like, I was like, I know there's a witch finder and a witch in this, but I don't remember their stories. All oh, right. They barely gave us any character work. That's why I don't remember it. But I'm going to say episode four, um, Saturday morning fun time. Over takes over 30 minutes for us to really get any Aziraphale and Crowley in that episode at all. Has that lame, dirty Harry bit. Um, it has a good ending, but I just was just feeling the drag. It what was, was the ending? The ending is the bit with the bookstore burning down. Oh, and yeah. Like, yep. um, mm-hmm. All that stuff with Aziraphale there. That was fine. I quite enjoyed that bit. But yeah, I just, I just, boy, I was feeling the drag and feeling like I just wanted to be watching something else at that point, especially because it was so much without mm. our two leads. Favorite episode? Episode three, hard times because we have that montage at the beginning, which is the best part of the show, as we've said before. We also it also has our favorite line in it. Um, yeah, give give me more of that. If they're gonna make a second season, just give me more of that, please. Hundred percent agree. If, Really, if it was just their adventures through time, yeah, I would totally watch that. I would love that. Anyway, um, yeah, so episode three for that reason. Me too. Episode three, mm-hmm. hard times. That opening 30 minutes so is good. so great. And I was just like, 
is this going to be the whole episode? This is a great episode. Yeah, I thought so. And, and it, it wasn't. wasn't. <laughs> but it did do something which is really classy, which only happens every so often in, in episodes. It has a mid-episode title sequence. Yes, it does. It does not do that until they're finished with the flashbacks, mm-hmm. which the only episode I can think of that does that as well that I've seen on TV is Mandius in Breaking mm. Bad, which is one of the best episodes of television ever made. Yeah, uh, yeah. if you've got something so good happening on your show- Don't interrupt that it. You, yeah, you don't interrupt it until the middle. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. No, that, mm. that, that is great, great, great 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, do you have any predictions, hopes, or concerns going forward? My concern is that um, they, if they do make a second season, they don't focus on the magic of that mm-hmm. central relationship. Um, but- I don't know. I kind of hope that they don't make a second season. I don't really want you know, or need one. It's weird because I was not fulfilled by this season, mm. except for the stuff with Crowley and Aziraphale. If they, I kind of am up for a second season if they did exactly what you said. Mm. Focus on those two. Make it about their adventures through history. Or even if they make it about like this idea of like heaven and hell against humanity, like they sort of lead up to, and obviously there's... Also, um, Anathema is gets these other prophecies, which they've gotten rid of, but they suggest that there's more to come, theoretically. I would be up for it because I would like to spend more time with those with our main two. Mm-hmm. But I, I come into it very sceptical of yeah. how good it can be. Yeah, very sceptical. <laughs> but like, Consider me I, not interested. I don't feel full on uh-huh. those two characters. Right. So that'd be I'd be I'd be okay for that, and it's just a question of how successful it was. It seems to have done pretty well. Mm. I think a lot of people are talking about. They seem to. There's a lot of talk about how much people love at least Aziraphale and Crowley. Yeah, that maybe Amazon will pressure Gaiman for a second season. And at this point, this might sound really cynical, but I really believe the way that Gaiman is going out there and doing as much TV as he can, maybe he is up for a second season. Maybe. Maybe he shouldn't be the one to write it, though. No one else could write it, though. There's no way. There's no way anyone else could write that. It would have to be Gaiman. Mm, all right. Because I'm kind of interested what he would do if he didn't have to adapt something. One of my favourite episodes of Doctor Who is one that he wrote. That's true. And that was yeah. a, a pretty great original idea. It was an adaptation of those characters. Yeah. It's a great there, episode. Yeah, there was talk... Um, obviously with this season at how much Neil Gaiman felt very uncomfortable cutting any of Pratchett's stuff because he found it disrespectful. So maybe, yeah, if he was given free reign that he didn't have to worry about, you know, showing respect to his deceased friend um, and co-writer, maybe it would be a little little sharper. Maybe. Mm. Also, just going back to what we were saying back in the um, intro that this was directed, all the episodes were directed by Douglas McKinnon, who directed Jekyll, episodes of Doctor Who and Sherlock. Mm. All of that, especially his Doctor Who run, was mostly done through the Moffat era. Boy, did I feel that in the way the mm. show was made. It's like it's very Doctor Who, even a bit of uh, Russell T Davies, but a lot of... Sh- of um, Moffat era Doctor mm-hmm. Who coming through in this as well. Not a bad thing necessarily. Just sort of a, a, when I read You're that later, I was like, "Oh, 
right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song and bumpers come from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their works in our show notes. You can also find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B G O R D E S Damask. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M W O. Next episode, we'll be back to discuss Stranger Things Season 2. Ooh. Season 3, sorry, Season Ooh. 3. We've done Season 2. <laughs> um, how are you feeling about that at this stage? Are you excited for Season 3? No, I think my excitement for Stranger Things has certainly dulled. Mm. Um, but I'm sure once I sit down and start watching it, I'll be like, oh, this is nice to be back with these characters again. But I'm not like pumped for it or anything. But yeah. we'll see how we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, season two was not uh, as good as season one, definitely. My hype is definitely down. The trailers are promising, though. Mm. And there's a lot about that that I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Um, I should say as well, timing of the next few episodes, hard to say. Both of us are actually disappearing to completely different parts of the country this week so I think this will probably happen next uh, yeah weekend like a week and a half away is probably when this episode will Mm -hmm. show up so I look forward to that in the meantime thank you again for listening we will see you next time bye for now bye cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.